God grant to each of you not only the gifts of grace, mercy, and peace, but a love for his word and for our neighbor, that we might all continue to apply ourselves to that word so that we might more fully share what we have been given with the world around us. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, I don't know whether or not curiosity has ever actually killed any cats, but I know it's killed many watches. I remember taking my watch apart when I was a kid, not much older than our confirmands. Never even got close to putting it back together. I was then first introduced to the expression, to the saying, only two kinds of people take watches apart, jewelers and fools. I was no jeweler, so you do the math. I'm not even sure what I was trying to accomplish, actually. As I recall, the watch worked fine. I guess I just was curious as to, to, to know how it worked. What I discovered was how it doesn't work. There are things like that in life, aren't there? Things that you just don't need to mess with. You don't need to tinker with it. Because if you do, you invariably ruin it. You wreck it. God's Word is like that. Especially the Gospel. You cannot tinker with the Word of God. You cannot change it. You cannot alter it. You cannot disassemble it, leave parts out, and try to put it back together and pretend that it's the same Word of God. Not the Word of God when you add something, when you take something away from it. You don't improve it, you destroy it. So it is on this Confirmation Sunday that we re-examine just how strong, how powerful, and yet how intricate and delicate is that Word of God. Nothing can crush it as God gave it to us. Nothing can destroy it. And yet man has his terrible power to ruin it by changing As our confirmants this morning prepare to pledge their allegiance to that Word of God, it's appropriate for us and for them to re-examine that Word of God and to do so regularly, to recognize God's Word speaking to us and what it is that God is telling us and only what God is telling us. Our text for this morning gives us valuable information in that regard. That text is found in Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia, the first chapter, beginning with the first verse. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you 
in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is God's word. It is therefore perfect without flaw. Nothing can be added to it to make it better. Nothing dare be taken from it. We recognize that this message came to us from God himself. And therefore, this is always and only our prayer. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. So first, a couple of seemingly random questions. I should ask our confirmands, but this wasn't part of confirmation. It would just be fun to embarrass them. Who invented the airplane? Most of you would probably say Wilbur and Orville Wright. It was actually a New Zealander named Richard Pierce. Who invented the automobile? Again, Americans would say Henry Ford. Good Germans out there would probably answer Carl Benz, and they'd be right. His company later became Mercedes Benz. Who invented the telescope? Most popular answer Galileo. Nope. Actually, a Dutch German lens maker named Hans Lippershey. I think Galileo is just easier to say. The light bulb. Not Thomas Edison, a guy named Sir Humphrey Davy. So what's the point of all this? It is that these men that we know so well, Wilbur and Overwright, Henry Ford, Galileo, Edison, all of these took something that already existed and improved it. They made it better. And when we stop to think about it, I cannot think of a a single thing man-made that cannot be improved upon. I could think of a single thing. Everything that we have, everything that we see now probably will be improved someday. I mean, think of the cars that we used to drive that we were so proud of, these great big tugboats. And, they, and that misconception naturally carries over into religion. And their world can be approved, improved upon Religion must also be continually tweaked to improve upon it because they believe 
that man created religion for man. Now understand that this isn't just a misconception out there in the world. This has found its way into churches, even churches that claim to be Christian. This idea that the Christian religion must change and evolve to meet the present needs or felt needs, as they're called, of its members. So they're continually tweaking, looking, trying to, well, what did this really mean, or what does it mean today? It, it meant something back then to them, but we're different back then. We've evolved, we've grown, we know more, whatever, so religion has to change with us. Essentially what they do is they seek to create a religion that justifies whatever they desire and requires only what they're willing to give or what they feel they can provide. Understand what has to happen to God, to God himself in this scenario, for this idea to work. God has to be demoted from the creator, from the giver of all laws, from the one who established right and wrong. He has to be demoted from that, and he has to sit at the feet of man and be simply the enforcer of man's laws, man's ideas, man's decrees. That's the God that they want. So man simply looks around and he says, well, what do I want to be able to do now? It doesn't matter what God said because God is just their enforcer. If they make new rules, new laws, God simply has to be happy with it. So, for example, where God used to say that fornication is a sin, now man says it's acceptable. And they go beyond that. God has to not only accept it, he has to be pleased with me if I practice that sin. It's a horrible affront to our Creator, God. The Christian faith as it is revealed in the Bible is perhaps the one thing that cannot be improved upon. In fact, as soon as man touches it, changes it in any way, he destroys all. Now, if this sounds extreme to you, if this sounds like hyperbole, exaggeration, go back to our text and listen to what Paul said. Those of you who are familiar with Paul's epistles will probably recall that he begins all of his epistles with a rather lengthy, at times, section of praise and encouragement to the congregations to which he wrote. And this was true even with hot messes like the church at Corinth. They had so many different issues, and yet Paul spent the first chapter praising them, encouraging them, pointing out the good things that they were doing. And then we come to the church at Galatia, our text for this morning. And it is the only example where Paul did not do that. He began with a greeting, politely enough, and then he launched into this rock-hard condemnation of what the churches in Galatia had fallen into. So what was the difference between Corinth, for example, and the churches of Galatia? In Corinth, 
they were messing up things like they had disorderly services and things like that, but they held to the gospel. In Galatia, they were actually changing and thereby destroying the gospel itself and therefore also the Christian faith itself. Two completely different problems. Listen again to verse 6. After his greeting, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What exactly, exactly does that mean, a different gospel? He explains. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, that doesn't seem all that bad, does it? If we just stop there, distorting the gospel, they're just tweaking it a little bit, personalizing it, making it their own, making something that they can grasp easier, customizing it to their local needs. No big deal. <laughs> Listen to how Paul addressed this tweaking this minor change. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then to make sure they didn't miss it, in fact, I'm sure when they heard this, they were taken aback, he says it again. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is the strongest language you will ever hear from the Apostle Paul. Bar none. Hands down, easily, the strongest language you will ever hear. So what were the people doing that caused this reaction from Paul? What was going on in Galatia? Well, first, this is what wasn't going on. They weren't denying that Jesus came. They weren't even denying that he lived a perfect life necessarily and suffered and died for the people's sins. They didn't deny that. They just added a little to it. In fact, they didn't say Paul was wrong. They said, what Paul said is right, is great. But here's the deal. There was a little bit more, the rest of the story. And anybody under 12 has no idea what I just said. They, they said, here's, here's the thing. Jesus, yep, good, he's your Savior and everything, and he came and lived, but you have to, Jesus did his part, now you need to do yours. There's still a few things that you have to do. One of them in particular was you still have to be circumcised. It doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? Now we're just like, well, they believe in Jesus, they're Christians, all good. And here, they believe in, Chris, they believe in Jesus, but they added, some of them, just one thing. Be circumcised. You have to be circumcised. And what did Paul say? What did Paul say? Let all those who say that be accursed. Man cannot, cannot change any part of the gospel and expect that the gospel remains. Man can add nothing to the salvation plan that God has outlined in his word. That's the beauty of the Christian faith. That's the sum and substance of it. That our salvation was earned 
in full and is complete alone in Jesus Christ. Here's the two options available to every man, woman, and child. One, never sin. Option two, find an outside source because you can't pay for even one sin. So, which option is available to us? Not one. Everyone here has sin. Buckets of the stuff. Busloads of sin. You can't go a day. Most of us can't go an hour without recognizing some sin in our lives. Something that we did that God told us not to or failing to do that he told us to do. And since we cannot add one thing, we cannot supply one payment to pay for even one sin, we have only option two. We need an outside source of goodness, an outside payment to be made on our behalf. And that's our Savior Jesus. It's exactly what he did. It's exactly why he came, because... He looked at the sum total of creation and said, there is no one that's good. No one that's perfect or holy or righteous. They cannot save themselves. So I'll go. I'll do what they could not, would not do. I will keep God's law perfectly, my Father's will perfectly. And then I'll take that perfect life and I'll offer that on the cross of Calvary as the payment for their sins. And then that perfect payment, that outside source of payment for sin will be their personal possession when I, through the Holy Spirit, work faith in their hearts to believe that it's true. So I'm not only going to do, live the life, give my life into death, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back to create faith, saving faith, that hand that simply accepts the completed gift of Jesus Christ. You cannot add anything that man does into that equation and have it be the same. So evidently the, the people who were distorting the gospel in Galatia were evidently justifying their actions with the argument that Paul wasn't wrong but didn't say enough. Paul said, you remember how he started our text? Paul, an apostle. These aren't throwaway words. These are all vitally important in this text. He begins by saying Paul, an apostle, because apostles were source material. God revealed directly to them what he wanted them to communicate to the people. So Paul said, I am an apostle. He goes on, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And then he concludes with these words. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was not preached to me by me, or that was preached to you by me, is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's why Paul was so upset. He received from God exactly what he communicated to them, exactly that truth of the gospel, that we are saved by grace, God's undeserved love, through faith in Jesus alone. And Paul communicated those words perfectly to them, 
And now some were coming in among those Christians and saying, that's not exactly right. God, give us a heart that has the same reaction to error, to anything contrary to what God said. We go to our Bibles and we hear God speak to us. This is what he says. And anytime someone says, that's not exactly right, how can we react other than to be appalled by that? The arrogance, the tenacity of man to say God is wrong. So what then exactly is that truth of God that those smooth talkers in Galatia were distorting? The gospel. Human beings have nothing to offer to a holy God. Make that personal. You have nothing to offer to a holy God, and yet you have sin. Your situation is desperate in the extreme, if not for Jesus Christ, who paid your sin debt for you, every single sin. Paul, in another epistle, said, who can condemn us, or what can condemn us now? When we stand before God, it can't be our sin because Jesus took it on himself. He removed it. In fact, he told us now he, he remembers it no more. The devil can't accuse us because the only evidence he has is sin, and sin is gone. Will God the Father accuse us? He sent his son to pay our sin debt. Will Jesus? Jesus himself came and paid what we owed. He cannot, will not condemn us for what we do not now owe. Nothing, then, can condemn you. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are an heir of eternal life. Your sin debt has been paid. You are forgiven. This is the Christian faith. Not man must, but God in Christ already has. This is our great joy and confidence, and it's concerning this faith that our confirmands this morning pledged their agreement, their allegiance. This is their hope for salvation. God's plan, not man's. God's plan freely provided to each one of us in Christ. And yet as these young men give confession, when they profess their faith, each of us would do well to recommit ourselves to this pure gospel truth by which alone we are saved. More than that, it would be well for us to fall on our knees every day and thank our God for this gift of the truth and plead with Him never to remove it from our midst. Amen. Thank you.